I always say to my people, my leadership style is on what I've learned from the other leaders or what they did wrong and searching the leaders in the industry that are doing it right. So a lot of things that they did wrong by me and by the others that I saw, I'm like, okay, this is going to form my leadership. I don't want to keep treating people like that. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. We are proud to present Courageous Conversations, a podcast series focusing on the tough decisions people have made to put themselves on a pathway to success. This episode is brought to you by Connect Now, who makes the business of moving easier for both you and your clients. For more information, visit connectnow.com.au. Please welcome your host, Leanne Pilkington. Hey everyone, Leanne Pilkington with you for the latest edition of Courageous Conversations. And with me, I have the multi-talented Arvi Khan. How are you, Arvi? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for being here. I'm sure everybody knows who you are. You've been everywhere for the last little bit. But for those who don't, you are a principal. How many offices have you got now? Firstly, Leanne, I'm just trying to keep up with you. I think you've been to 110 places. I've been to about 10. So (laughs) (laughs) try to catch up. So we've got five offices across Brisbane South, from commercial to residential. Amazing. Okay. Take me back. You're actually a lawyer by your original profession. Is that right? That's right. I studied in New Zealand. This was a long time ago, probably about 14 years ago now. And after a while, I love New Zealand. I go back every year. I try to, but after a while, it sort of becomes a fishbowl existence. You've sort of been there, done that, seen everything, decided to move to Australia about 14 years ago. And my legal background, my law trade for about seven years. I think the last three years of that, I was traveling a lot from Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane. I was at home 9 p.m. every Friday night, leaving at 5 a.m. every Monday. So the last three years of it, it was like I lived out of a suitcase and something had to give. Why were you traveling so much with your law degree? So the area that I specialized in, there was a lot of roles outside of Brisbane and I was contracting to a company called Oracle at the time. And I had different contracts going on. So it was more lucrative for me to do things outside of Brisbane rather than where I live. So the money was good, but it took a toll on my lifestyle, my body. And I took three months off and I said, you know what? I'll try real estate. It looks really easy, right? (laughs) Everyone's making money. Everyone's got the nice suits, fast cars. But it was a rude awakening for me when I started. I'm like, okay, this is not as easy as it looks. Tell me why it was harder than you thought. I think firstly, it's a culture shock as well because... And even now, I feel like real estate is so combative in offices, different offices you go to in the industry, within agencies, within groups. So the first office I went to, I think it had about seven or eight partners. And it's hard to survive in that atmosphere and that environment because you're like a bottom feeder, but in real estate, you're like a bottom, bottom, bottom feeder. So trying to make it in that environment is pretty tough. And trying to find listings is pretty tough, especially when everyone in the office knows everyone in the local area. So anything you list is like, oh, I played water polo with him in 1982. I'm like, oh, then why didn't he call you? You know, that was literally what was happening to me. They Yeah, those conversations happen in every office. I'm sure there's a lot of people watching this going, yep, that's happened to me. That's happened to me. Yeah, It's a double-edged sword in a way because it does motivate you as well to go hard. You're like, okay, I'm not going to let this affect me. I'm going to make it. As a result, I work till 2 a.m. every night most nights, you know. I remember getting chased by dogs at 1 a.m. So the change to real estate was great for your lifestyle then? Yes. (laughs) I did it to get more time home and more flexibility. But the way I am, it didn't really work out that way because I worked harder. There's no limits to real estate, right? The harder you work, the more money you make, the more people you get to meet. So I was just really determined to make it in that environment. And so what year was that? What was your first year in real estate? 
that would be 2016, I believe, 2015, 2016-ish. So wow. about seven years ago, yeah, seven and a half years ago now. Wow, that's phenomenal. So you struggled to get the listings and fit into that environment. Yeah. Where did you go next? I think in the first year, I think I remember the sixth, seventh, eighth month of my career, the first year, I didn't list a single property. I was just selling everyone else's stock from all my friends and connections and everything that I had. And I think my principal at the time said to me that I haven't seen anyone survive this long without listing. I'm like, yeah, I know. Maybe it's not for me. But I think towards the end of the year, everything just came together. I think my 12th month, I listed like 10 or 11 properties. I think that's really interesting because yeah. a lot of principals will only give somebody three or four months to get their first listing. Yeah. And if that had have happened to you, we would have lost out on an incredible leader in real estate. So what was it after your 12 months, Mark, that kind of fell into place? I think I was just doing a lot of appraisals. Sorry for the use of this word, but people call me like a telephone terrorist. I'm like, okay, cool. That's interesting in itself because I never put the phone down. Okay. I don't mind rejection. The world I came from in corporate, it's like it was dog in dog kind of world. So I get rejected every day. So that didn't really affect me at all. Yeah. But I think people now, they just don't like the rejection piece. So I was just on the phone. I think I was doing maybe 60 up 70 appraisals a month at that stage. So I was meeting a lot of people. So I knew these were sellers were going to sell. It's just nothing was dropping for me in the first year. And then all of a sudden, just people just started saying, hey, I want to sell now, I want to sell now. So that worked out really well for me because I didn't realize at the time because no one was guiding me that it takes time for these things to happen. So I was sitting there, oh my God, maybe this is not for me. I don't know what's going on. Why are people not listing? So it kind of came together after 12 months. Everyone that I spoke to, everyone that I appraised their properties has started listing again. So I listed for the first time, rather. Did you stay with that business long term or did you move? No, I was determined to make it to a certain level. I think they call it the captain's level in Algie Hooker back then. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's a great network. There's some great people in it, but that particular office wasn't for me. Yep. So I think I lasted there maybe about 15 or 16 months from memory. I just said, look, I'm going to go somewhere where I can do more. I was only allocated like 1,100 homes I could market to. And I'm like, this is a bit crazy because I kind of know all of them now and I could market share. I wanted more areas. I wanted to expand more. So that's why I stepped out. I'm like, I have this aspiration that now I think I can be a leader. I know it sounds stupid after first year. I'm like, I want to open my own. So after year one, you opened your own office? No, I did another year, another a very wide office. Okay. And I had stated my leadership aspirations to the office and to the CEO of Ray White at the time. And one day, randomly, after two years in the industry, he called me. He's like, hey, mate, I'm giving you this office. Are you ready? And I said, well, why? And he said, well, you've got two months to open it. So I'm like, okay, well, this wow. is interesting. He had a lot of faith in me. So amazing. after two years as an agent, I went and opened my own office. That's amazing. Yeah. I get the feeling that as a leader, you learned more about what not to do than what to do in your real estate career. Yeah. Leanne, yeah, you're the first one to say that to me, but that's spot on. I always say to my people, my leadership style is on what I've learned from the other leaders or what they did wrong and searching the leaders in the industry that are doing it right. Yeah. So a lot of things that they did wrong by me and by the others that I saw, I'm like, okay, this is going to form my leadership. I don't want to keep treating people like that. I don't want to treat people when they leave me like that. So that's spot on. Yeah, interesting. I've been out in the working world for a really long time and I've only had one leader that I've really learned positive things from. So I've formed my leadership style exactly the same way. So tell me about the things that you do do as a leader. So first thing is you've got to understand when people join you, they're leaving not because of commission, they're leaving not because of sales, they're leaving a leader for another leader. 
you've got to be humble enough to realize that, not egotistical enough. There's a fine line between ego and confidence. Yeah. But you've got to be humble enough to realize people are joining you for your leadership. Yeah. Just taking them on a path of leaving where they're coming from to join me. It's a lot. I've done that a couple of times and I know that they go through a lot to do that. So when they join me, there's a lot of emphasis on me making it right for them, working for them. And I understand that everyone's on a different journey. We're just glad to be part of their journey. It's so true. I speak often about the fact that people need to understand their own definition of success. And what drives you is not going to be the same thing that drives the person sitting next to you, even if you're both selling out of the same office, right? So as a leader, how do you keep up with all of that across the business? Look, it becomes harder when you grow so quickly, but then you have to realize that you have to create leaders in your business. It cannot just be you. Right. So we had this thing about culture, for example, you know, this whole debate about who drives the culture, is it the leader, is it the people? I think it's a bit of both. So it comes from me as to, hey, guys, these are my expectations. But the people in my team are driving their own culture right now. This is what they want to be. Leanne, I never fire someone. My team has kind of fired them before I get there. Yeah. That's a good feeling to have. We also hire as a team as well. So if I'm talking to an agent, I'll go and speak to five or six of the agents, get a sort of a heartbeat of what they think about this person. If six of them say, no, Arby, we can't have them because you affect our culture or they've got a bad rep in the area, we don't hire them. So as a leader, it's so refreshing to, yeah. And it doesn't matter how much commission they're writing because you might. Doesn't matter. You'd be a business of attraction, I would imagine now. So you potentially could have people coming to you that are writing a lot of money that are appealing to you as a business owner. But if your team says no, you say no. No, we say no. So we say no to two agents every month on average. When you find us in the Quarry Mail, we're in the real estate section. That's where we want to be. We don't want all the troublemakers and everything else. They can go to our businesses next door. So we very, very concentrating on the people that we bring into our business has to be the right fit, the right culture. It doesn't matter how much money they make. If they don't fit the mold, they don't come into our business. And so how do you work out whether they will fit the culture? What kind of questions do you ask them during an interview to work that out? It's not so much the question. It's you have to go with gut as well. And you have to kind of know them over three, six months. You're seeing their Instagram profile. You're seeing how they write their ads. You're seeing what the people are saying them to about them. You're seeing their rate my agent reviews or REA reviews, whatever it is, right? And sometimes you have to realize we always have these things. Oh, I don't want to hire that dickhead. I don't want to hire that idiot. Like people say that, but it just maybe they're like that because then they're a different culture. We also have to back your culture as well. I seldom say that to my teams like, yeah, but what if this person comes to our culture? I think they'll be very different. I think they'll resonate with us because I have the sense that if they're around good people, we're all helping them, we're all helping each other, they will develop into amazing leaders. And some people have come into our business that we were like, okay, do we have them or we not? Now they're doing so well. They're leading the teams. You know, we have this thing in our business called peer-to-peer learning. Yep. Sometimes I'm not even involved in the conversations and that's what I love. They'll call another agent, get advice, get the answers and they say, hey, Arby, sorry, you missed my call, but someone else helped me along the way. Right. That's the stuff that we're looking for in our business. And so talk to me a little bit about that, the P2P learning. Is that a formal program you've got within the business? No. So every month we have someone new trading our agents. Yep. So we've made a point of getting the best performers across the industry trading our agents, whether they be Ray White, LG, Uka, Remax, whatever it is. We want to build a bigger tent. We don't want to be combative with each other in terms of outside in the industry. I think that it's way too combative right now. So in order for us to do that, the team has to be that as well. So they train each other so well. I ask different agents to take training sessions. I ask different agents to take associate sessions. Sometimes they're taking each other to listing presentations to help each other. All of these things are just forming themselves. And it just, as a leader, it's so refreshing because 
sometimes we're not on the grassroots as much as they are. So it's nice that they're always talking to each other. And I think they understand that, you know, if they help someone, they'll help them in return. Yeah. I just see these things of they're adding each other and listing sometimes. I'm like, oh, that's really nice touch. That's really nice the way they're doing it. It's so nice to hear. It's exactly, I was a real estate agent and I hate to admit it, but back in the eighties, that's how old I am. <laughs> and that's the way we used to work. Yeah. We always used to work as a team, but you're right. The industry is so combative, not just competitive, but combative these days. And it's not a good look for any of us. So it's like a breath of fresh air to have somebody like you growing other leaders with that same kind of attitude. It's great. Yeah, I think as leaders, if we tone the rhetoric down ourselves, they'll do the same. They need someone to lead them to that path. It's nice that they follow that and they're doing it so well. Um, now I have like some of my best agents are out trading other agencies and I don't even know about it sometimes till I see it on socials and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. So it's really refreshing as a leader that they out there teaching what we've taught them and what they've learned along the way themselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, in an age where technology can allow us to do anything, you know, we're both doing this podcast from our homes at the moment, why open multiple offices? Why not just have one big office and everybody sort of works from that environment? Look, I think real estate has changed a lot, don't get me wrong. Yep. Technology is playing a huge part and we're very big on being early adopters of tech that we get along the way. So we pride ourselves on building our own ecosystem of tech on the Ray White system. But I think I have this adage that the best real estate is done belly to belly before people jump to conclusions. What I'm saying is that people still want to be face to face. And I think as agents, our role, like we have empathy, we have emotions, we're supposed to read people's body language and all these other things to get the deals together. At the end of the day, we work for our sellers, right? So I think we have to be face to face, belly to belly as much as possible. And look, I get these things, people are building hubs and all the other stuff to do 56 different areas, 70 different areas. But I still think the local presence is important. I still think that we should work in that way, that we want to build. We're not just there to list and sell real estate. We're actually there to foster better communities. We're actually there to connect better communities. We're actually there to help people as well. I think the beautiful thing about real estate is you can make as much money as you can. But we forget along the way that, like I said, it's someone else's journey. We just should be humble, grateful to be a part of it. Why can't we create better communities? And I think we have to have a presence in those communities. We have to sponsor some schools, work with them, give back. And I think that's how our sellers will know who we are. There's an old adage that we're the only industry that know where our clients are. Yeah, that's right. We know where they live, right? Yeah. But I think sometimes we forget that there's more and more investors coming through. We don't know where they live, but they know where we're located. People still want to go to the local agent. Yeah. People still want to go to their local specialists. People still want to reward those agents that are connected with the community. So we can go that way of having a big hub and servicing the entire Brisbane South. But I think the best way to do real estate is still have local presence. You have to find the right balance. So that's the way I form my beliefs. Yeah, because you are removing yourself from the local community and it is very important to be, you're right, creating better communities is such a great tagline if you live it. And I'm sure you guys do. So when it comes to supporting local community, how are those decisions made in your business? So at the moment, across our group, we've got 63 different sponsorships. Wow. Ranging from as little as $50 to some of the big ones are at 10, 12K. So that's done with the agents themselves. We say to them, we've empowered you to go find projects that you work on that you're passionate about, local schools, whether it's sponsoring someone to the local Taekwondo club or something like that. So I leave it to the agents to come to me with suggestions of where we want to go, who do we want to sponsor. And we sit down and say, hey, this is our budget for the year. This is what we can work on with you. But 
if we're sponsoring this football club, you better turn up on Saturdays. You better turn up on Thursdays because I just don't want a jersey to be flagged around. It's a partnership between the office leadership team and the agents themselves. I think that's the best way to do the community side of things. It cannot be driven by the office and it cannot be just driven by the agents. It has to be a partnership. So we're proud that we've done about 63 in the last 12 months. Number might be a bit higher now, but with the agents we have, we have the ability to do all these things around and just show the community that we do actually care and we deeply do care about what we do out there. Yeah, that's amazing. So how many salespeople have you got now? We've got 39 agents at the moment. How do you actually structure it? So I've got the old way, or I shouldn't say the old way, the most romantic way of doing real estate, I think. Each agent has their own focus marketing area. Yeah. I think there's different models. Everything works for everyone else. But what I was trying to build, the peer-to-peer, the sharing marketing, the sharing ideas, the sharing training, I wanted to make sure that everyone has their own focus marketing area. And if an agent does really well in their marketing area, we give them another one. There's plenty of suburbs around. Yeah, I was going to say, because that was one of the reasons why you weren't happy. So I was going to ask you about how do you give them that room to grow without imposing on somebody else? So no one agent shares a suburb. That's what we've done. So each agent is known for being that suburb specialist in our group, in our offices. So that's automatically takes care of the frustrations that I had as an agent. I had to share with two other agents the same suburb. So anything that comes up in, say, Daisy Hill, it will go to the Daisy Hill agent. No one else can touch that, the leads and things like that, as long as the agent is working that area. Yeah, that was my question, right? You've got to yeah. then have pretty strict KPIs yeah. and monitoring of that. Yeah. So how do you have those conversations with your agents? Yeah, um, Daisy Hill, the market share, what's your market share expectation for an agent? It just depends on where they are. I always say zero to 10 is very hard to get. Once you get 10, it's easier to go to 20. 20 to 30 should be a breeze. So I look at the agent and say, what's their life's? not how long they've been with us, how long they've been in the area. Every agent will have a different KPI. And we sit down and say, hey, this is my expectations for this year. I need you to get to 10. I need you to get to 20. And sometimes they won't, Leanne, but if they're doing their appraisals, they're doing the activities, I can see it. I'll be more patient with them because no one's an overnight success. It just depends on who they are, what they're doing in the area. Everyone will have their own different KPIs. As long as they're working the area, they'll get their leads in the area. I'll work with them in the area. If they're doing nothing, then they won't go to them. And they know that it's very clearly defined. Yeah. But most, I think 99% of my agents are actively working their marketing areas. They want the leads. We've built a really big red crawl now. So they get a little bit of leads from there as well. Yeah. So the idea is to give them enough room to grow, to breathe, where they're not restricting them to a 900, 1000 homes that the frustration grows that I don't have an area to market to anymore. So we work with them very clearly on that stuff. Yeah. So you've got 39 suburbs. We probably cover about 46. Wow. From this 39 agents, yeah. How do you put policies and procedures in place to encourage that growth, but also to have that seamless, consistent experience, not just for your team members, but for your buyers and sellers and renters and investors? Yeah, look, it comes from the top, right? So this is where the sales menu comes in, the training sessions comes in. So I tell them what my expectations are. And you also need to give your agents room for creativity as well. So I don't come down hard on them if they're doing something outside of what the office wants to do. So the training session is all the same across the board. Everyone gets the same training. Everyone gets the same auctioneer. Everyone gets the same sales meetings. All the policies and procedures are the same across all the agents. doesn't matter if they're writing 1.6 or they're writing 100K. It's the same. Everyone in my team has got the access to the same commission levels. Yeah. So it's all transparent. They know what each other's on. So everyone can earn the site. Like they can all work their way up. Yeah. yeah. They can all work their way up. Yeah. So there's no like you know, little chats in the corner about what are you on? What is he on? 
even our property managers are all on the same levels as well. If they this amount of experience, this amount of properties you manage, you get this, you get this, you get this. So they're all on the same across the board. So automatically we've solved all the issues that most of the other agencies are having about pay because everyone can transparently see what each other's on. And policies and procedures are the same across the board. So we have rules around what you can do with prospecting in someone else's area, yeah. what you can do prospecting if you sold something in someone else's area or did an appraisal in someone's area. So the expectations are all there. Look, sometimes, yeah, we do have little niggling issues that we have to resolve every time, especially with the advent of social media and things. There's new stuff that comes out that we haven't thought of all the time. Sure. Yeah, But we talk about it as a team. We talk about our data as a team because, you know, everyone's got data in different areas. And so that transparency, what I'm hearing is that transparency is really important to your business? It is. It is very important. It's not perfect, but we work towards perfection at all times. Yeah. It's important for them to know what I'm thinking. I remember Brian White said to me when I opened my business, you need to know what you want and your team needs to know what you want. So I try to put that out there as much as possible. It's true. Sometimes I get it wrong, but we fix it as we go. As they say, Leanne, every mistake in real estate costs you money. Just don't make the same mistake again. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And be, you know, be um, open to learning to you about learning from your yeah. mistakes as well, right? Because yeah. pretending that we're perfect doesn't fool anybody but ourselves. No. And uh, look, sometimes I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's chaos. I like to think, I tell my leadership team it's organized chaos, but they disagree with me sometimes. <laughs> tell me, when you first opened your business, were you an active lister and seller? Yes, I was. So I was probably over like 500K mark, yep. GCI mark. But as I recruited more, it just came down and down and down. It was dark moments, Leanne, because you know, your profit margins suffer when you get to not selling anymore. It's always like all principals struggle with this decision. When do I stop selling? Yep. For me, the decision was sort of taken away from me by the growth. I had so many people joining the property management team. Was I think we added 200 managements in the first year. Talk to me about that. Why? I mean, yeah. the industry in general would tell you that finding good people is the hardest thing in our business. So why were mm -hmm. you having so many people wanting to join you? I think there's a lot of different reasons. One is I never burnt any bridges. I only destroyed the bridges I didn't want to cross, which is the people I didn't want to be involved with. It's sometimes a badge of honor to say, hey, I'm not going to meet those people because this is the way they carry out their business. Yeah, And I think it resonated with people that are trying to build something different. I mean, at that time, it's just a vision, right? Right. Because you don't have the resources, you don't have as much money to build it. But I was putting my vision out there that I want to change the way real estate is done in my little way. I won't be egotistical saying I've changed real estate, but my own little way is like, can we do it in a better way where we're not just breaking kneecaps as we go? We need to build referral partners. We need to be understanding what people want. And I think the first week I opened, like seven or eight people walked through my door in the first week. Wow. Yeah. And look, I have to be honest, we didn't attract the 600K plus performers, the 1.2 million plus performers. We had like the 100K GCI to do 200K GCI. Some of my best agents who joined me, who are the best agents now, they had two or six sales yep. to their names. But I backed myself saying, hey, I'm going to train them. If I'm not capable, I'm going to get help from my friends and peers in the industry, train them as well. Can they be a sponge and can they work hard? And that was my thing of hiring people. Can they be a sponge around us, not just me, around every other trainer I have? And can they do the hard work? So the recruitment kind of spurred on. And my point of difference became that I'm not the leader with all the bus stops in the area. I'm not the leader with all the electronic signs. I'm not the leader with all the buses. I'm not the leader that will market in everyone else's area. Now, the certain leaders can do that and still build a team. Good on them. I've only met three or four of them in my time. They, they exist. But I couldn't be that guy that was the captain and the coach. Yeah. So I built around the fact that I'm not going to be competing with you. I'm going to be helping you. Yeah. And hopefully that resonated with the agents in the area.
Sounds like it because the reality is that some leaders, unfortunately, their ego requires them to be the number one salesperson, mm. and I've seen that yeah. time again. And other leaders just don't back themselves. They're not. They're really good at what they do, but they're not really good at mm. teaching other people how to do it. And yeah, obviously, you're good at that. Well, and the other thing is that when you say about we can be good at what we do, but we need to tell other people that we're good at what we do in a nice, humble manner, not in a cocky, arrogant manner. So that's the balance we were trying to find is, hey, we know we're good at what we do because we get the best prices. But how do we put it out to the marketplace? How do we create a heartbeat without the five, 600 sales in the area that our competitors have? We have 100 at the moment. I think we were successful in how we created that heartbeat early on. How did you do that? I think the first thing was social media really helped us. People were mocking me. Oh my God, he's posting every day and I still post every day. And then one of my competitors said to me, oh, you know, you should break it up a bit and post a Jamie Oliver chicken soup recipe or something. I said, mate, if they won the chicken soup recipe, they'll follow Jamie Oliver, not me. They're not going to go What were you posting? Listings and sales? Yeah, li- coming soon. Look, we're just at this function in the community on a Saturday. There's rides. We posted about our rentals as well that not many people were. And the posts were less and less about me as we went because I listed less and less. It was more about my agents. And I think it resonated with the industry and the agents in the area that you know Avi keeps promoting his people rather than himself. Interesting. And the heartbeat came out that, look, we're listing and selling. We're alive. We're kicking in here. Like every listing was posted like three, four times rather than just once. Yeah. So it looked like we we're doing so much more. And it's not just the Avi show. No, it wasn't. And my thing is, I've sort of gone in the way of being a leader, being someone who influences the industry a bit, someone who's thinking about how we can do business better. So that's my post. I never post anything I list and sell. Probably once a month, I'll post something. Yeah. Um, just to show people I'm still relevant a little bit. I like to think I'm relevant a little bit when it comes to listing and selling. I think you're very relevant, particularly for an industry that has got so many challenges around ego and perception out there in the community. Because unfortunately, it's always the people that behave badly that impact it for all of us. So I'm thrilled to have somebody like you trying to change the way people see the industry. And the fact that you've had such success in your recruitment should be a lesson to every single business owner out there. Thank you. And I appreciate that. Hopefully we've shown people that we can do things in a different way. Yes. Our little way. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I could talk to you all day about this stuff, but We've already been chatting for half an hour and so Mark's going to come and (laughs) drop me off any minute now. So, Avi Khan, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and I think every time we meet we can talk for hours. So Totally, yeah. There's a lot to change and there's a lot to do in the industry. There so is and I'm so glad there's someone like you out there beating on that drum because it's so important. So thank you. Thank you, Leanne. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Courageous Conversations with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agency's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.